going to start off by reading a scripture. This is going to be kind of the main text that we're going to look at for today. And this comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17 and 18. And it says, For the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So that's where we're headed today. That's kind of the base text, and we're going to dive into that in a minute. But first, let's talk about deep, intimate eye contact. Any big fans of, of intense eye contact in the room? <laughs> Uh, so early on in our marriage, Rachel and I, uh, we were living in Chattanooga, Tennessee at the time, and she was really getting into yoga, and uh, I had never done that before, but I was wanting to like be a good husband, and so I think it was actually Valentine's Day, I booked us this couples yoga class, and I was like, this is going to be awesome, uh, I'm going to be a great husband. But it was pretty uncomfortable for me doing that for the first time. And so we show up, and we're there, and um, I'm scoping it out. And they, they start off with this exercise where they have everybody, because it was a couple's thing, they had everybody sit face-to-face uh, -face with the partner that you brought, kind of cross-legged on the ground, holding hands. And the deal was that you just had to look at each other, but you weren't allowed to talk for like two or three minutes, which... When you can't talk, it just is a long time. But it was me and Rachel, we're newlyweds, you know, we're still in that honeymoon glow. And uh, it actually reminded me of our wedding ceremony, you know, this time when we're standing up in front of all of our friends and family and we're, we're just holding hands, staring at each other, uh, waiting to say these lifelong vows to one another. And for me, as soon as I started talking, I just started crying, uh, which is a surprise if you know me. Um, so it was like that. It was this deep, intimate connection thing. It was actually really beautiful. And I was like, this is a lot of fun. We haven't even stretched yet. And then they said, okay, part two of the exercise. Now you have to go do the same exact thing with somebody that you've never met in the room before. And yeah, you felt that in your stomach, didn't you? Like everybody was like, uh, what? <clears throat> and immediately before I could even process this um, superwoman yoga master, uh, woman who is just like completely jacked, runs up to me, grabs me by the hand, pulls me over to the side, sits me down, and she's like way closer than Rachel was to me. Like our noses are basically touching. And she's smiling and looking and staring. Yeah, that's what it felt like. I, I couldn't keep it together. I, like, I, was, I didn't, wasn't sure what to do. Like, do I look? She's holding my hands. Like, I'm trying to see where Rachel went, and she's with some, like, Fabio model guy. And uh, I was like, wait, this is not the plan right now. Um, but it was so intimate and uncomfortable. Like, I just kept awkwardly laughing and looking away. Like, I, I couldn't hold on. I, I just kept breaking it. Um, but that was a moment of deep, intimate eye contact. And also, it wasn't really appropriate because I didn't have that type of relationship with her, right? She wasn't uh, my wife. 
Um, but hold on to that picture, because we're going to come back to it later. Um, what we're going to be exploring today is one of the most primary, foundational, uh, important things in all of life. I really think that this helps us answer that uh, basic existential question that we're all wondering about, you know, why am I here? In fact, for me, uh, personally, in my own life, this is so important and such a game changer for me that I say that this one thing saved my life. What we're talking about is worship. Now, maybe for you, uh, that doesn't seem like a very big deal. Maybe when you think of worship, you just think of what we just did, like singing a few songs, especially today when there were a hundred kids running crazy in here and we're all crammed together. Um, isn't it just like the warm-up to the service? Isn't it like the, to get us all ready to hear the word and hear the message? Isn't it like just some old tradition that we're kind of stuck in and we can't get out of it, that, that Christian karaoke that Joe mentioned? Well, worship is obviously, I believe, much bigger than that, and I believe it's one of the most powerful transformational practices that we can engage in together that fills us up and sends us out into the world on mission. And my hope is for us as a church community, as a family on mission, that we can really catch a bigger vision for it and how we can live it out together. So worship is all about giving. It's really what, what Joe just talked about in that, um, that child dedication service, what we did. It's, it's about giving what we have back to God. Um, our, our hearts, our focus, our attention, our affection, um, or as the Apostle Paul urges us in Romans chapter 12, which uh, Joe actually talked about last, um, last week, last two weeks. I don't know how to say our rhythms. We meet every other week. Last time we met... He taught on Romans chapter 12, Paul urges us to offer our bodies to God as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And he actually says that that is our true and proper worship, giving God everything that we are. And so worship is fundamentally about giving. Of course, this is so much more than singing songs at church. But we have to understand that worship is fundamentally this act of giving. And yet, like most things, I feel like there is a both and at play here. Um, because we don't initiate anything with God, do we? He starts all of it. He starts everything. We love because he first loved us. Uh, there's this back and forth that happens, like the song that we sing a lot of times. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. The more that we receive, the more we give back to God. And the more that we give back to God, the more that we're able to receive, and then we can give it back to him. You know, you see this kind of back and forth. It's, it's, in other words, it's this dynamic, ongoing relationship with our creator that we're actively engaged in. And so we're actually going to focus on worship uh, at the next gathering later on in this month. And we're going to talk more about um, what this looks like, how we really uh, give in worship, what that looks like. Um, but today we're going to focus on a little bit more of, of what the receiving might have to do with it. 
Because it's had me thinking, maybe sometimes the reason we might have a hard time connecting to God in worship, I don't know if you've ever felt that, like where we come in and are just like feeling a disconnect between us and God. We're supposed to be having this connection with the God of the universe, and it's like just not feeling it. They didn't play the songs that I like today, you know, whatever. Um, And it has me wondering, it has me thinking, Maybe sometimes the reason we have a hard time really connecting in worship is because we're not all that good at receiving. Anybody here have a hard time receiving? Oh, I see that hand. I see that hand. Um, To really understand why worship is so important and and really where the problem comes into play, we have to go all the way back to the beginning, to the first page of the Bible, and this creation story that we have in Genesis. And, And right away, we get at this existential question. Why are we here? How did we come into being? What is our purpose? And according to the Bible, we believe that a good God created everything in the universe, And he made human beings, you and me, and everyone else around us, for a very special relationship and purpose with him in his good creation. We were made to live in an intimate community with God and each other and to rule over the earth. Did you know that? We were made to rule over the earth. Like That is the purpose of humankind. Um, joining God in the work of creating and cultivating, being fruitful and multiplying his goodness all over the earth. And of course, the creation story happens in a garden. And one of my favorite uh, metaphors for what we're doing as a church is gardening. Like most of what we do is cultivating soil. It's, it's partnering with God to see good, healthy things grow. And so it's working and resting, delighting, and walking with God in the cool of the evening. This is the picture that we have in the, in the very beginning, right? This, this special close relationship between God and humans and this very important purpose of, of stewarding his good creation all around the world. In fact, God calls it very good. And the way that this... Uh, uh, the way that this whole concept of unique identity, purpose, and relationship all gets wrapped up is in this one phrase, made in the image of God. See, human beings are called image bearers of God. Have you heard that term before? And I think we kind of understand it as like each of us has some kind of value and worth and dignity because God made us in his image. Um, But how are we supposed to think about that and make sense of this concept of being image bearers? And so there's no doubt a lot of helpful tools and a lot of like illustrations and and ways that we can think about it. Um, But the main picture that I want to give us today, props, is a mirror. So, uh, One time, today and today only, because you came to Vineyard Covington, everyone is getting a free gift, this very expensive compact mirror, so pass those buckets around, take one and pass it down. Uh, Hopefully we have enough for everybody. Um, But I came across this illustration from a a scholar named N.T. Wright. He, He writes about this in a really awesome book called The Day the Revolution Began. 
And in it, he's really looking at what the cross of Jesus was all about, like why did Jesus die and what did that do for us? And, and really, he goes all the way back to this idea of human beings being image bearers. And so the picture that I want us to have when we think about this is of a mirror. And maybe you can start to see uh, some lights reflecting around a little bit. But what do mirrors do? They reflect, right? They, they take whatever image is put into it, and then they cast it out, uh, you know. And, and specifically, whatever the mirror is focused on, right? So there's a, a bunch of you in this room. I don't know if I'm blinding you or not, but, uh, and this thing is so tiny, but can you see yourself in it? No, not at all? All right. So you, you got the mirror. You can hold on to it and, and check it out. This is just, feel free to play with this uh, fidget toy as I keep talking up here. But what gets really interesting with mirrors is when angles come into play, right? So I'm, most of us are used to just like going into the bathroom and looking straight at our faces in the morning and brushing our teeth and, wow, that's what my hair looks like, okay. Just, you know, you work with what you got. And, um, but if you turn sideways, I can actually turn completely around. Can anybody see my face? I see you, Grant. I see you, Scott. And so the picture that N.T. Wright uh, paints about this is that one of an angled mirror. And uh, let, me, let me read his um, Description. I really just want to read the whole book to you because it's so good. But if you are into this, uh, I will buy this book for you. It's, it's that good. Um, but this is what N.T. Wright uh, writes. Like many scholars today, I understand the idea of the image, as in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, to mean that humans are, de- are, humans are designed to function like angled mirrors, We are created in order to reflect the worship of all creation back to the creator and by that same means to reflect the wise sovereignty of the creator into the world. Do you get that picture? If you imagine, and God's not like floating above us on a cloud. We all know that, right? Um, But if you imagine God up in heaven... And he, and he puts a human, he puts one of us as this mirror on the earth. And our job is to then look up and sum up all the creation, or all the praise of the creation, and reflect it back up to God in worship. And that same being, through our lives, through our hearts, God's goodness, his creative uh, wisdom, his justice, his righteousness is then uh, being um, reflected back out onto the creation. So it's this idea of an, ang- an angled mirror. And humans are, are supposed to exist right in this specific place between heaven and earth, bringing all the goodness of heaven to go forth unto all of the goodness of earth. Does that make sense? It's kind of a different idea, but uh, I hope that it sticks with you. It's been sticking with me for, um, for years. Back to N.T. Wright. Um, we are created in order to reflect the worship of all creation back to the creator, and by that same means to reflect the wise sovereignty of the creator into the world. Human beings worshiping their creator were thus intended, uh, were thus the intended key to the proper flourishing of the world. 
Worship was and is a matter of gazing with delight, gratitude, and love at the creator God and expressing his praise in wise, articulate speech. Those who do this are formed by this activity to become the generous, humble stewards through whom God's creative and sustaining love is let loose into the world. I know that that's a lot of words. But isn't that a powerful image? This angled mirror, human beings standing at the intersection of heaven and earth, focused on the beauty and goodness of God, reflecting all of the, pra the praises of creation up to God, and through this connected relationship, reflecting what he's like, his will, his kingdom to the world around us. He's saying that we were made to worship the God who created us in his own image. You see the, the back and forth there? There's a, there's a receiving, there's a giving, and, and it's just this, this constant flow, this back and forth thing. You've probably heard it said that everyone worships something. The only question is, what are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? So if you were to just reflect quickly, what is the, what is the mirror of your heart angled at right now? So that's how it all started. The good original purpose that we were created for. But we know that there's a problem, right? We can kind of sense it in our bones. So, so back to N.T. Wright. I'm going to give you like two more quotes from him. Um, that was how things were meant to be. The purpose of the cross is to take us back from where we presently are to that intended goal. Because, of course, we have all failed in this vocation. When humans turn from worshiping the one God to worshiping anything else instead, anything within the created order, the problem is not just that they do wrong things, distorting their human minds, bodies, hearts, and everything else, though of course that is true as well. In addition, and this is vital for grasping the meaning of Jesus' crucifixion, they give to whatever idol they are worshiping the power and authority that they, the humans, were supposed to be exercising in the first place. Worshiping things other than the one true God and distorting our human behavior in consequence is the very essence of sin. So maybe this is feeling a little uh, academic. Um, but basically, the original plan got thrown off course based on where the humans decided to put their trust, their worship, their attention, their focus. And the church lingo that we use here is sin. This is where sin enters the picture. And I think it's really important um, how we understand the story. Do you notice the central role that worship seems to be playing in all of this? There's a rather uh, widespread view among the world, and really even Christians, that life is basically about trying to be a good person. And if we can, um, but, but we can never truly be fully good enough and keep the whole list of, of arbitrary rules that God has given us uh, to make it uh, up to his standard. And so Jesus died to forgive our sins so that we can go to heaven after we die. 
It kind of makes sense, and there's a lot of truth in that. The problem is just that that's not what the Bible teaches, and that's not what Jesus talked about. And that's not, uh, it's, it's pretty hard to find that as being the main story. And so what my hope to do, and uh, we're almost done with this part, so hang with me, is, um, is to help us to just understand the story that we're in once again. Um, the problem actually goes much deeper than just doing bad things. Or just not living up to the standard that God gave us. Um, it goes much deeper. And sin is really just a symptom. Ultimately, the human fall is a failure of worship. The word the Bible uses for this is idolatry. And it goes right back to that idea of, of images, of idols. What are you looking at? What are you trusting? What are you um, receiving your sense of life and purpose and power from? Giving our focused love and devotion over to things other than God. Sin and bad behavior is the result, the outflow, and the consequence is death. You can trace this thread over and over throughout the Old Testament with the people of Israel. Uh, they're in good relationship. They're worshiping God. It's going great. They're thriving. There's freedom. There's fruitfulness. Then they turn to idolatry. They're defeated, they go into exile, they end up in slavery. There's basically this recurring theme back and forth over and over, and it all has to do um, with who they're choosing to worship. And in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, in chapter 1, we get probably the clearest explanation of this failure. Uh, this is from uh, Romans 1, 21 through 25. Uh, the Apostle Paul is, is talking about this problem, and he says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. It's kind of a heavy picture, right? And I think ultimately this is kind of one of those uh, Spider-Man lines, great power, great responsibility, right? We were created for a very intentional, specific, um, powerful purpose. And the story that we read throughout the Bible, the, the way that we resonate with it so much as humans is that we've, we've given up that responsibility, We've given over our powers and allowed other things to have power over us. It's not just that the angled mirror has gotten a little dirty or maybe broken. It's not just that we're, we're not getting the full picture. It's that we've actually turned the mirror off of the creator God and pointed it at other lesser things. And so, again, when you think about that purpose... We are living as reflections of the things that we worship. 
And when we're not worshiping the one true God who sustains and holds the the whole world together with, with justice and righteousness, the things that we worship, the things that we give power over to start running amok in our world. If you think about the problems that are going on in our culture and our society, and we have a lot of different theories and things, we could get political. That would be fun and uh, point at what our reasons are for those things. I'm just kidding. Um, But I would say, ultimately, all of them come down to the idols that we are worshiping, and we see those reflected over and over, and they're not new. Um, The common idols, the, the gods of of appetite, of wealth, of the love of power, of violence, of of sex, of self-importance. We gave away the responsibility to something lesser, and it's taken us captive. The picture that we get of humans caught up in sin and death is not just bad people making bad choices, but totally enslaved, captive to these desires. The creation is now subjected to the reflections of lower kingdoms and wannabe kings. And there are a lot of things in our world that would love to take that power. Y'all still with me? It sounds a little dramatic, but it's kind of the way that we understand the whole world. But the things that we're seeing in our culture, in our, in our world, are obviously not reflections of the generous creator God of self-emptying love and compassion. The God that we see in Jesus who, who came to be a servant, who knelt and washed uh, his, his followers' feet. Last quote from N.T. Wright, just because it's too good. To recap then. Humans were made to be vice regents. That is, they were to act on God's behalf within his world, but that is only possible and can only only escape serious and dangerous distortion when worship precedes action. Only those who are worshiping the creator will be humble enough to be entrusted with his stewardship. Isn't that cool? You got your mirrors? What do you think? Is is this helping? Should we do more props? (laughs) I was going to do this thing with a spotlight, and uh, I'm not going to do it. But quick quick picture recap. We were created as image bearers to reflect the goodness of God into all creation And to to reflect the praises of all creation back up to God. This angled mirror, right? Make sense? All right. So if we can properly redefine the original purpose, that human vocation of worshiping and reflecting the goodness of God, and if we can properly diagnose the problem ultimately a failure of worship, of turning to other lesser things, of giving away our our power and our responsibility, then we can finally get a better grasp of the solution and just what it is that we're being invited back into today. So let's go back to our text. Uh, This is from 2 Corinthians 3. 
And I'm going to start in verse 12. And just to give you a little bit of context, because this is kind of a weird story, like most of them in the Bible. Um, <clears throat> but, but Paul is, is comparing and contrasting the old covenant that the people of Israel received with the law through Moses and the new covenant, this new way of, of interacting with God and being redeemed and set free um, that we have in Jesus. And so this is what he says. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That one's a mouthful, too. What words jumped out to you in that? Spirit, freedom, what was it? Transformed, anything else? Glory. This is a really cool, powerful picture that he is, um, that he's, he's um, the Apostle Paul is giving us here. And there's a specific word that I want to focus on in verse 18. It says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, or some translations say behold, see, view, this idea of looking at, or some translations like the NIV has a little footnote, and you click on it and it says, or reflect. It means look at or reflect the glory of God. And this is one of those things where in, in the Greek uh, vocabulary, in the word, that most scholars think that it, you know, it's one of those words that means two things. And so it seems most likely that Paul is actually using this as kind of a, a double entendre of, he's saying that now we get to look at, we get to behold, we get to uh, contemplate and just like a mirror, reflect God's glory outward. And so it's in this process that we actually get restored and made back into the image, transformed to become more and more like Jesus into his glorious image from glory to glory. This is the picture of humanity being restored, of our vocation being redeemed, of our identity being uh, re-unleashed to all of us. And it happens through this very specific process, through the spirit, through, through contemplating, through focusing, through looking at, beholding the glory of Jesus. Jesus is the key, the solution to all of it. By beholding and reflecting the beauty of God that we see in Jesus... This is only accomplished. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
Jesus is the picture of the true human, living a life fully surrendered and obedient to God the Father. And what did he do? He went around doing good everywhere, setting people free, healing the sick, uh, forgiving people, uh, bringing people to the table who felt marginalized and left out. Why is it so important that we spend time looking at, beholding, worshiping Jesus? Why is it so important that our view of God is shaped by Jesus? Because what we spend our time looking at, we start to look like. Right? We, we just start to become like the things that we give our attention to. We see this with our kids. It's like the clearest example that I can have. I've, I've noticed it with all three of my kids, but with Eden especially. She's just always watching. She's always watching, and she stares at my mouth when I talk, and I sing, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. And she goes, happy, happy. She's just naturally modeling the things that she's seeing because her eyes are fixed on me. The world does not need any more wannabe gods and pretend powers. The world needs to be filled with the beauty and the light of the God who looks like Jesus. The one who laid down his life for his creation that he loves so much. This is why the eternal song of heaven is worthy is the lamb who was slain. Are we really able to receive his mercy and love? Like, not just the idea, but personally, direct. To go all the way back to that awkward yoga story, can we sit face to face with Jesus? Can we allow ourselves to really be seen and to behold the full beauty, glorious picture of him. So there's a lot of ways that we can, we can practice this, um, but the idea here is really of, of through Jesus, we have been welcomed back to this relationship with the Father where our identity and our purpose is restored. And now when we turn the, the angle of our hearts back to him, we can exist within this good uh, relationship, reflecting the praises of the world up to him and reflecting the goodness of all creation out and into the world. I had a really interesting experience. I'm going to tell one more story, and then we're going we're gonna to wrap it up. I had a really interesting experience uh, recently with making eye contact with Jesus. And I know that that sounds kind of weird, but I was a part of this um, pastor's learning cohort. And one of the things that we had to do was take a half-day solitude retreat. And this was uh, early in the year. And um, four hours, just get away. Don't do anything. Just be with God. <laughs> and I was like, I love that. This is going to be great. This is my jam. And I was honestly shocked at how hard and challenging it was for me just to find the time to make it happen within my life and my responsibilities and my family and all of that. But I went up to the Garden of Hope. Uh, some of you have probably been up there. We, we cleaned it up uh, a few months ago. Um, and it's just this really peaceful place up on the hill overlooking the city. But there's this statue of Jesus 
And from down below where the tomb is, I, I was just looking up and I saw this, this statue of Jesus and he was just looking down right at me. And I was just like trying to think of anything that I could do to fill the time. I was like, oh God, four hours. And to be honest, I was like, I got about an hour and a half. And I just felt this invitation from Jesus. This is what he said. Just look at me. Just look at me. And it was so awkward. It was so weird. I don't know why. I love Jesus. And I just found myself in a similar position to that yoga class where I was like looking at his gaze so intent, looking at me with love and acceptance. And I just, I couldn't meet it. I just kept looking away. And in that, in that moment, I feel like God really started to show me something about my inability to receive. Like, man, I believe that Jesus loves me. I've been giving my life to following him. And yet, how often do I actually let that truth and that reality penetrate my heart? How often do I allow... Uh, Myself to be fully seen and loved. This is the invitation of Jesus. And one of the ways that we practice that is when we gather together for worship. Uh, I should tell a joke. No, we're out of time. But there's a lot of things that happen when we worship. And, and my hope is that um, you've, you've kind of grasped a, a bigger picture of what this is. So the band's going to come back up, and we're going to practice this together. We're going to sing one uh, more song. And again, the singing is not the point, right? The point is our, our heart posture towards God. Are we fully engaging? Are we fully allowing ourselves to point at him, to see him, and to behold him? Because Jesus is truly beautiful. And the really cool thing uh, is that within this picture, you know, in, in the Old Covenant, Moses was the guy. He went off into the tent by himself, and all the people watched, and they waited. And when he came back out, he was, after being with God, his face was glowing. He was radiant with the glory. And the people were so scared and freaked out by that that they made him put a veil over his face. But now in the new covenant, in the new reality, because of what Jesus has done, we are all invited. We are welcomed in. We can all, with unveiled faces, behold, contemplate, see, look upon, bask in, and reflect the glory of the Son. As he transforms us through the Spirit to more and more freedom, becoming more and more like him. So let's all stand, if you're able and comfortable with that. Just a couple really quick practical things. Again, gathered worship isn't the only time that we practice this. There are a lot of ways, and we're going to talk more about that in the, in the coming year. We're going to go into some contemplative prayer practices and a lot of really fun things. Um, but when we do this, just... How does your body reflecting the posture of your heart? And so this is why oftentimes we, we just open our hands. Just say, God, I'm open to you. I'm ready. I'm ready to receive 
and I'm ready to give up whatever I have. Sometimes, man, we just lift our hands because the truth and the, the radiance of God's glory is so good that we're just like, we have to respond. One other thing, we, we often say, uh, my, old, my old boss, uh, Thor, he would say that in the vineyard we're weird, we pray with our eyes closed, or no, sorry, I said it backwards. We pray with our eyes open and we worship with our eyes closed. Why do we do that? Because when we're praying for people, we're, we're watching to see what the Spirit is doing. We can see uh, the presence of God come onto people and, and, and interact in different ways. But when we're worshiping, we are just turning our entire focus and attention to God. It's kind of a weird thing because we're doing it all together. But the point is that we're all just solely focused on God. So how might you try that in this moment? We're just going to practice beholding the beauty of Jesus. Maybe close your eyes. Maybe open your hands. Maybe uh, if, if the Lord gives you something to express, then feel free. Like there is freedom to express and go for it in this moment. But let's all turn our hearts back to the creator God and worship. <laughs> 